it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. You're tuned in to the Investing for Beginners podcast. Finally, step-by-step premium investment guidance for beginners. Led by... Andrew Sather, and Dave Ahern, to decode industry jargon, silence crippling confusion, and help you overcome emotions by looking at the numbers. Your path to financial freedom starts now. All right, folks, well, welcome to Investing for Beginners podcast. This is episode 48. Andrew and I are going to talk about distressed businesses or negative earnings, negative shareholder equity. We've never really delved into that aspect of investing and kind of what to look for. And so we're going to talk a little bit about maybe some cautionary tales as you're looking for companies to invest in for your potential retirement. So without any further ado, I'm going to turn it over to Andrew as always and let him start us off. Yeah, so I mean, we did a bunch of episodes where it was kind of with the basics. So I think let's let's dive in. We haven't done anything pretty technical in a while, and I always love to talk about it. I know some, at least some of our listeners, like to hear about it. Uh, I was thinking maybe we could like stay relevant. So obviously, there's been a couple of things that have happened lately, and I realize in the podcast world, by the time this comes out, it's going to be months old news. But you know, we had. Tesla lose taxpayers billions of dollars. We've talked about Tesla before, so I'm not going to talk about that story um, with the whole SpaceX thing. But there is another one, and it's um, Sears Holdings. It's you know CNBC and and the media and everybody really talks about the fall of retail and talks about how Amazon's really kind of taken over that space and and made a lot of businesses fail and it it is very true um and so i thought you know this could be one that we'll look at a little bit deeper and see because obviously if you look at the stock chart it's been beaten down and um with stocks that are beaten down sometimes that comes an opportunity because then you can buy at a really cheap price for sears in particular i will look at like a basic price to cash their price to cash is 1.8 which means if you're buying this stock, you're almost getting the cash. If the price to cash was one, that means let's say you're paying a hundred million dollars to get a hundred million dollars in cash. Like that's like almost getting like free cash. So it sounds like a, like a really great value play. But I think you'll find as we dig deeper into the numbers that there's more to this story 
and that even though you see a couple of good metrics from a value standpoint, because the complete picture isn't all there, then it is a cautionary tale. And there are several different symptoms with Sears right now that signal a business in decline. And so I think those are some of the things that you should look at when you are looking at evaluating various stocks, particularly in ones where industries are being, I don't want to say under attack or under siege, but but going through a lot of change. So obviously retail is one of those. And with a lot of change comes a lot of opportunity, but also a lot of risk. So anytime you're, you're going into what's almost called like a deep value with really, really distressed companies, it's very, very important that you are differentiating between opportunity or risk. Yeah, exactly. And I think the, the big thing with Sears is, you know, you look at the evolution of the company over the last eight, nine years, and they've been in a kind of a, a scramble mode to try to figure out how to stay relevant and stay alive. And as Andrew and I were talking about preparing for this episode tonight, I was looking at just a price chart of the company. And since 2009, they were at a height of $122 a share. And currently they're at $3 and 33 cents a share. So that is quite a precipitous drop, uh, to say the least. And, you know, when you talk about some, a company that's in a distressed industry, which retail would certainly fall into that there, as Andrew was mentioning earlier, a moment ago, there is quite a bit of change that's going on in the retail world. And there's all kinds of rumors swirling around right now about Amazon looking for a physical place to branch into. And I've been hearing lots of rumors about Target and I've been hearing lots of rumors about Sears. And, you know, who knows whether this will actually come to fruition or not. But people that are looking at Sears as a possible value play look at something like that and gives them hope. And that would be certainly a, you know, a life fest to a drowning man, but boy, that's a, that's a, that's a big stretch. And, you know, as we go into a little bit deeper dive in here in the numbers of the company, we're going to see that, you know, there are a lot of things that can really set off a lot of alarm bells and would caution you to, you know, maybe think that this is maybe not the greatest investment. And I think with that comment, I think we should start looking at some of the the ratios other than the price to book that Andrew was talking about. Um, let's take a look at some of those. Yeah, I, I love how you brought up the stock price chart because when you get into stocks that are beaten down at this level and you get to like the below 10, below 5, below $1 range, you look at the long-term stock chart and you start to think, well, you know, it hasn't fallen that far or no, you, you, you look at it and you say, well, it's fallen this far. Surely buying it means you can't fall, fall that much more. Right. Because a lot of these stock charts will bottom out. A lot of times you'll, you'll have pessimism and, and there's only so much of a beating a stock can take before it either normalizes or, or goes completely bust. The thing to understand is when you talk about a stock going from like 100 to 50, that's a 50% loss. You buy the stock in at three and it drops to $1.50. It doesn't sound like a lot, but it's the same as if you had held onto the stock and it dropped from 100 to 50. 
So mm-hmm. you have to be really careful when you're getting into these situations where the trend's lower because that definitely, you know, your risk is always 100% no matter how much, how cheap of a price you get in at. And a stock can fall very fast. And, you know, that the closer and closer you get to zero, I think the more drastic some of these movements can really be. And it can be, you can see eva- your money evaporate overnight and it can be really scary. So definitely something to keep in mind. When I looked at the financials, I did a real like surface level look. I went to advfn.com, which is a website we've talked about a lot that preloads a lot of the information that you can get from a financial statement. And it puts it all out there. It's not always 100% accurate, which is why whenever you're looking at analyzing the stock to purchase, I always recommend also looking at the sec.gov report because you might find some discrepancies. But for the purposes of today, I think this gives us a really nice picture and and can really tell the story because it's one thing to hear about all the rumors. It's one thing to, you know, maybe see stores close and see people talking about it on TV. It's a completely different thing when you look at the numbers. That's going to really tell you what the story is because you can spin it in a way where a store is closing number um a business is closing stores and it's able to create more profits doing that by cutting losses. You can also look at it in a different way where they are closing stores because their business model is just absolute garbage and the demand's really low. And really you won't know until, until you actually look at the financial statement, look at more than one metric. So right off the top, you look at revenue, which is called the top line. You see from 2013 to 2017, it's been steadily declining. You went from 39,000. Um, this is actually in millions. So let's say, uh, 39 billion to 36 billion, 31 billion, 25 billion, 22 billion. That's obviously not good. You, you never really want to see a declining top line. Not, you know, a company can still grow earnings while their top line is declining, but what that means is they're going to have to cut costs heavily. You think about cutting headcount and, you know, maybe cutting corners on, on production costs and, and things of that nature. That's kind of the stuff that companies will have to do. So, I mean, in the short term, it's not necessarily a terrible sign, but in the long term, it's like, how do you expect earnings to grow when, when all the cat, all the money that you're bringing in is, is decreasing? You're going to have to do some drastic things. That's a first obvious red flag. You also look at their net income. And obviously, I, I don't think we've hammered this down enough yet because we haven't talked too much about bankruptcies and value traps and, and all of those things. But the number one goal of a business, at least in the comments, when you think about common sense, and yes, common sense isn't common these days, but when you really, really examine it and, and think about on the conceptual level, why do we have business? It's to create profits. So when the business is failing at doing that, especially if their top line is growing, then that's an obvious sign of a failure of a business model. And so for Sears, not only are they losing money, they have continued to lose money for the same five-year time period that we've been talking about. Um, in my opinion, it's it's amazing they've been able to last this long because 
you're looking at a loss of negative 900 million to 1.3 billion to 1.6 billion. It looks like they got a little bit of an improvement in 2016 going to 1.1 billion. And then again, the latest one, it's, it's the biggest loss they've ever had. It's $2.2 billion. That's not good at all for obvious reasons. And what I found kind of most profound about all of this is on top of all these negative metrics and all these declining trends, they have shareholders equity that's been steadily decreasing like a straight line, just like their top line revenue. So they've, they went from 2,700 in shareholders equity down to 1,700 down to negative 900, negative 1,900, negative 3,800. It's just not only is their equity shrieking, which what's that, what that means is either their total assets are going down or their total liabilities are going up or a combination of both. So not only is that going in the wrong way, they now owe more than they own. So if we were to liquidate the business today, they would sell all their assets and still owe to to debtors and, and creditors and all the all those things. It's it's absolutely absurd to to think that that the business is still alive and and that people are still in the stock. Like, what do you see in a business where you owe more than you owe? You know, you you owe more than you own. You don't. <laughs> It just doesn't make sense, right? And so it's it's just funny how what what looks so obvious and and sh- you know a fifth grader should should be able to understand that concept. It still gets lost because you still have the stock trading at around three dollars. Um, obviously, you know there's obviously hope they'll be able to turn it around. But I asked you this question as an investor: Why even bother with stocks that you know? <laughs> Would you invest money in, in a credit card knowing that you have to pay interest to the bank or would you invest it in a business that actually creates a profit, right? So why would you buy a stock that's already in the hole and is already owing so much and, and having such a negative trend lower when there's so many other stocks out there that are growing, that have actual assets and more assets than their debt and their liabilities and and the things that they owe it's it's just absurd to me and and so i don't i don't like to kind of to beat beat down on the stock but i think it's it's really something to consider and not only should it make sense on like a conceptual and logical level but i think when you go through history you'll start to see that these type of warning signs have been present before and so you know, obviously the future doesn't repeat history exactly in any time period and, and the future always kind of works out its own way. There are some similar characteristics. There are patterns that we can learn from and there are key lessons to be gleaned from stories of the past. And so I've definitely written about some of those and, and would definitely like to share about it. But I think it should be obvious. We have declining revenue, declining earnings, and declining equity. Sure, you might be able to get good cash in relation to what you're you're paying for. Uh, the price to sales is fantastic. Still, it's like a point oh two. So, uh, 
a ridiculous amount of, of revenue compared to, to how much you have to buy. But even with all those things, you have to take the other three factors into consideration and it's, it's a losing battle. It's, it's, it's even worse than the gamble in my opinion. I, I would completely just stay away. Hey you, what's the best way to get started in the market? Download Andrew's free ebook at stockmarketpdf.com. You won't regret it. I would too. And another thing that I was looking at, to just kind of put this in perspective a little bit, the market cap of Sears right now is $357 million. And when you think about a company with a name recognition of Sears and how huge the company is and how long they've been around, that's kind of staggering to think about it. And, you know, that borders into the small cap stock area. And that's just kind of staggering to think about. So when you look at the negative shareholders equity that Andrew was talking about, you think about, you know, the the assets versus the liquidity of the company and there just isn't much there. And those are the kinds of things that really can make it a really scary proposition to get into a company like this. And yes, it may be tempting to buy something that's a quote unquote so cheap, but as Andrew has talked about in his book with the value trap indicator, you know, these are the kinds of things that can really suck you dry if you're not careful. And that's why looking at the financials and looking at the overall picture as opposed to just the price is so critical to a margin of safety and having a value of safety. And, you know, when we're trying to invest, one of the biggest things that we always try to look for is not losing money. You know, our good buddy Warren Buffett, rule number one, don't lose money. Rule number two, don't forget rule number one. And that's so critical. And, you know, we've talked about in the past, when you lose money and trying to regain that money is, it can be a very uphill battle for sure. Uh, Andrew was talking a little bit about some other, when it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to Nerd Wallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. Budgeting was always a challenge for me. I struggled to find the best way to keep track of all of my money, not to mention all the time tracking down receipts, cataloging expenses, and trying to figure out what went wrong with my air quote system until Monarch Money. Monarch Money allowed me to easily see what is going on with my finances, helping me get a better handle on my spending, budgets, and more. It's my go-to app every day, more so than my bank, because I can quickly see where I am with my budgets and spending, allowing me to invest more and spend time on the things that I want to do. It's my GPS for money. Monarch is a top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all of your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, set goals, and collaborate with your partner. 
and now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash beginners. Unlike other personal finance apps, Monarch's simple, intuitive design makes it so easy to set up, customize, and use. Monarch has built-in features to collaborate with your partner, family, or financial advisor. Invite them to your account at no extra cost, and they'll get their own login info and a joint view of all of your finances. Monarch is the most customizable budgeting app. Change the layout of your dashboard, toggle between light and dark mode, create custom budgets and notifications, set up automatic rules for transactions and notifications, and more. In fact, Monarch Money is one of the first to bring you direct Apple Card, Apple Cash, and savings syncing with the latest iOS 17.4 update. Now you can sync your wallet directly for seamless budgeting. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's a top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash beginners. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash beginners for your extended 30-day free trial. I'm going to blank on the word. (laughs) Other cautionary tales that he's talked about in his book, and I was wondering if you'd be willing to share a few of those with us. Yeah, definitely. So what was interesting about some of these is they had warning signs for years before they actually went bankrupt. So if you pick up a copy of my book, you you read it, you'll start to see a theme. A lot of these companies have negative earnings over and over and over again. Even more obvious is, is when a company has negative earnings and negative shareholders equity, just like Sears does right now. So Blockbuster, you know, you could, there were probably millions of news articles out back then. There were all these different types of research, right? And what's funny about when you, when you hear about companies in the media, they'll never dig into the numbers like we're doing today. They'll never give you like a five-year layout of, of just these simple numbers that, that are really telling a big story about what's going on. So Looking in the past, it's like, okay, well, maybe with hindsight, it seems like it was very obvious that you should stay away from Blockbuster. I remember growing up as a kid and going to Blockbuster over the weekend and, and picking out you know one or two movies, and, and that was kind of the entertainment for the weekend. And then I remember being in high school when we had our first Netflix account, and I believe Netflix started out where you would get the CD mailed to you and then you would mail it back. And then what was cool about that was it was unlimited. So you would return one whenever you were finished and then you get another one. And so that, that's what made this, the subscription model really, really, you know, appealing. And then I remember just out of nowhere, everybody in my high school seemed to have their own Netflix account. And then obviously they went into the streaming thing and then that really took off. So before long, you know, blockbuster completely disintegrated but, you know, I argue that even if, if I was even remotely aware about the stock market back then, I don't think I would have known to stay away from Blockbuster unless I was also skilled in looking at the numbers. So when you look at Blockbuster, uh, I, for the book, I, I did 30 bankruptcies of the 21st century, kind of... And I really dug deep into 12 of them and I featured these and they take up a big portion of the book and it's just breaking down these numbers and and looking at them and giving a chart and and showing the financials and then talking about that. So with Blockbuster, 2010, they had negative 500, 
69, 2009, negative 385, 2008, negative 85. Basically, for four straight years, you saw earnings decline. So it was positive in 07, and then it went negative in 08, further negative in 09, and then really negative 010, or 2010. Shareholders' equity, exact same situation as Sears. They went from 700, 650, 200, negative 300. So completely declining, and then net sales as well, right? 5,500, 53, 50, and 40. It's, I mean, are we not looking at Sears again? Like, it's it's kind of prophetic in a way, right? And I, I know if you would probably talk to other people, they would probably say they don't buy clothes from Sears much either. So it might be one of those things that seems really obvious, when you look at the share price for Blockbuster before they went bankrupt, I thought that was really interesting too. You had in 2007, they were around four. And then 2008, they went up to like six or five, depending on which quarter you're looking at. Then down to like the two to three range and then down to like a dollar and then bankrupt. So you can see like the warning signs were there for a very long time. You didn't have to jump ship right when things started to look a little sour, but come on, three years of negative earnings and, and you're still sticking with the stock. Personally, I have a policy where if a stock has negative earnings, I'm just not buying it at all. And if I own a stock that gets to negative earnings, I'm selling it because again, this is the number one thing that the business world can all agree on is profit. No sense in staying in a company that's failing at that, at that big of a scale. So, investors in Blockbuster, you can see there was still a lot of hope, a lot of optimism. And even though the share price did kind of rebound, um, the, those three major metrics continued to decline. And finally, the, the company did go bankrupt. And I think, I don't think it's very coincidental that it was that last year that they finally had more liabilities than assets. And then that was 2010. And then they go bankrupt right after that annual report. So, Something to keep in mind. There was another one too that I wrote about in the book that had the same characteristics in the sense that it had negative earnings and negative shareholders equity. And that was THQ. Um, that was like a gaming company. They, they were in the gaming industry. They had a couple like pretty good games that came out, but. You know, you, you would, on paper, it sounded really nice. They, they had a monopoly, uh, on games based on like Nickelodeon and Pixar. That, that sounds really, really profitable, but their financials didn't prove to be as profitable as, as everything, as all the investors hoped they would. In the same token, they had four years of negative earnings, 2012, 11, 10, and 2009. All four years negative earnings. Um, they had like a a little bit of a bump in shareholders' equity from 09 to 2010, but those last three years before bankruptcy, shareholders' equity was declining, down, down, down. And then on the revenue standpoint, it stayed pretty flat. There was a little bit of decline after 2010, but uh, sales were at least flat. So you can see again, not. Not every bankruptcy is going to look the exact same, but lo knowing that profits are going down means that you can't buy 
you know, if you have negative earnings, how are you going to buy more assets, right? And if you if you're trying to maintain a certain level of revenue and sales, you'll probably pile up more liabilities. And so that's those are the kinds of things that can really make your total equity get lower. When I'm looking at the stock, I always want shareholders equity that's increasing. Definitely earnings that are increasing, you know, those are all things that are compounding in a positive way. They're creating more cash and that's being able to be reinvested into more cash and and create more sales and profits, which can create more cash. So it's all positive reinforcing. Unfortunately, the same thing can happen on the downside and then you see it with stocks like this and the warning signs are kind of there. And a company like this, THQ, I think the difference between THQ and Blockbuster was that Blockbuster's business model deteriorated at such an extreme level that everything crumbled at the same time. Whereas THQ, at least they were able to maintain appearances by keeping revenue kind of flat. So there was some demand, but they were obviously throwing money into the furnace by uh, accumulating all these liabilities, selling off assets just to stay afloat. And it finally caught up with them after four years of negative earnings and, again, just one year of negative shareholders' equity. So I think it, it really blows my mind, again, that Sears has been able to last this long with that many years of negative equity. But at the same token, like their negative equity isn't extremely bad yet, if, if that makes sense. Like We're talking about like a negative... 3.8 billion when they still have what 19 billion in sales 22 billion in sales so i don't know like who knows like when 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 the the final nail in the coffin really gets hit but i just i don't see a recovery story in it and even if if there is it's definitely not worth the risk and definitely not going to be a profitable strategy if if you're going to be picking stocks like this. And even if you're trying to stay diversified and and picking a group of stocks like this with declining everything, it's just not a good policy to have. And unfortunately, it's not hammered down enough. And obviously, it's kind of a sobering moon. It's kind of making me depressed just even talking about it. Maybe that's why it's really not catching on. But hopefully, by listening to this, you can tell that like, these aren't super complicated topics. It's not a super complicated metric. These are just a couple of basic things that we can kind of put two and two together. And if there was more awareness about this in, in the financial industry, I think it would definitely save a lot of investors a lot of money and a lot of heartache. And you know, by limiting losses, you're only pushing up your upside and pushing up your gains and pushing up your performance. So it is really worthwhile to be able to understand this and to look at it because like we've said and and like it should be obvious buy low sell high works really well a lot of buy low and and super deep discounts when you talk about margin of safety and you you focus on the margin a lot of those can really really explode for you in profits and gains but you have to be super careful and super picky and making sure that the safety parts there as well Yeah, that, those are all amazing points, and that is the advice that you really need to listen to and follow through with. 
there's a difference between being in a company that's beaten down or the industry is beaten down to a company that is in its death throes. And those examples that Andrew, you know, illustrated of Blockbuster and TDQ. THQ. Are, THQ, thank you. Uh, THQ are great examples of companies that were very much exhibiting signs of financial distress. And, you know, they were putting the SOS out there for you to read it. It's just a matter of whether people were paying attention to it or not. And not to beat on Tesla, but that is really why Andrew and I are really, really down on the company. But the product, yeah, the product is great. But everything that we were just talking about, that's what they fall into, negative everything. And that can be such a dangerous investment to get into. You know, I understand the hope is very strong and belief is very strong, but when you look at the black and white numbers, those things can make it very, very obvious to you that this is not a place that you want to be. And that's why Andrew and I wanted to talk about some of these things tonight was to help illustrate, you know, the caution that you need to have when you're investing and, you know, being aware of any sort of risk that you could be taking. Because when you do take risk, you're taking risk with the money that you've earned. You worked hard to get that money. And when you put it in the stock market, you want it to work for you. And when you make a choice to invest in a company like a Sears or a Blockbuster, it's a big risk. It's a very big risk. And you have to ask yourself, what is the return that I'm really hoping for by making this investment? And that's where I think it really comes down to for me. All right, so I think that's going to go ahead and wrap it up for us tonight. I hope you enjoyed our conversation about some cautionary tales. We're not trying to be bummers or downers, but we just want to talk about some of the things you need to be a little bit more aware of. And without any further ado, you guys go out and find some great intrinsic value. Invest with a margin of safety, emphasis on the safety. You have a great week, and we will talk to you guys next week. We hope you enjoyed this content. Seven Steps to Understanding the Stock Market shows you precisely how to break down the numbers in an engaging and readable way with real-life examples. Get access today at stockmarketpdf.com. Until next time, have a prosperous day. The information contained is for general information and educational purposes only. It is not intended for a substitute for legal, commercial, and or financial advice from a licensed professional. Review our full disclaimer at einvestingforbeginners.com. Our kids have said to us since we moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of the values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See why CNBC ranks Minnesota number four best state to live and work. A great place to work, an even better place to live. ExploreMinnesota.com slash live. Our kids have said to us since we moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of the values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See why CNBC ranks Minnesota number four best state to live and work. A great place to work, an even better place to live. ExploreMinnesota.com slash live.